you have your copy of scripture, we'll be in the book of Philemon again. This morning I want to speak to you about principles for godly relationships, which I believe the book of Philemon deals with. You've probably heard someone say at some point in time this phrase, can't we all just get along? Why do we say things like that? Well, because of our human nature um, and the difficulty that we sometimes have when it comes to get al- getting along with other people. In July of 1983, Reader's Digest published this. Once upon a time, a mean old mountaineer fell sick and died. There were no funeral directors back in the hills then, and embalming was not yet practiced, so the widow and the family dressed the body and placed it in the coffin. As the deceased was being carried from the house, one pallbearer stumbled, causing the coffin to crash into a gatepost. The knock somehow revived the old mountaineer, who sat up yelling at everyone in sight. The man lived for over a year and was as mean as ever. And then he got sick and died again. Once more, the body was put in the coffin. The pallbearers lifted their burden as they shuffled by. The long-suffering widow lifted her head and said, Watch out for that gatepost. I'm sure that we've all dealt with difficult people in our life. They could even be family members And very possibly, they could even be church members. Now, you may not have been as bold as to wish a difficult person would die, but perhaps you have thought that if something terrible happened to them, that they would not be resurrected. What we must understand is that the gospel brings together people from all walks of life, from various backgrounds, from personalities, and this only increases the possibility that relationships will get strained. Why? Because we are all a bunch of sinners. We can see this even in the short letter of Philemon. We have Paul, who is the author. He's a scholar, a zealous Jew, and a former Pharisee. We have Philemon, who is a wealthy Gentile businessman. And finally, we have Anisimus, who is a runaway slave. It almost like sounds like the beginning of some sort of biblical joke. You know, a Jewish scholar, a Gentile businessman, and a runaway, runaway slave walk into the market or something like that. Anytime that you bring together people from such different backgrounds, you either have this potential for huge conflict or for great glory. We must understand that it brings God great glory when people who would, under normal circumstances, they would constantly engage in bickering and fighting. Instead, they love one another because of Jesus Christ. The potential for conflict is escalated when these people of divergent backgrounds are brought together by the gospel, but they live in a culture that is permeated by inhuman and unjust 
social institutions. During this time, the Roman world accepted slavery, and it was a class distinction that they used. Slaves had zero protection under Roman law. In fact, one commentator writes that two or three years before Paul wrote to Philemon, a slave had killed his master, a Roman senator. The law demanded that when this happened, all of the slaves in the household would be executed along with the one who did it. The senator had four hundred slaves. The populace tried to intervene to save them from this unjust treatment. The Roman Senate held a special hearing and decided that the law needed to be carried out and all 400 were executed. This was the culture that Paul was in. This was the mindset of the people when people when Paul wrote this letter to his friend Philemon. And I want you to imagine the impact. If Paul can convince Philemon to forgive this slave who had wronged him, and furthermore to accept him as a brother in Christ, this would spread like crazy. Can you imagine the conversation people would have and what they would ask? Why did Philemon not kill Onesimus or at least give him a good beating and the response would be because Philemon follows Jesus who taught his followers to love one another can you imagine the potential of the gospel can you imagine the glory that is brought to God by right relationships what I want you to understand is that it is no different today the world is watching those who claim the name of Jesus Christ to see whether or not they really are all that different because of the gospel. Does following Christ really make a difference in our homes? Are we able to work through our problems and our difficulties with kindness and with gentleness and with patience and with understanding? You see, the world even peers into our churches, and what do they see? This is why racial diversity in many local churches is vital. It's easy to say, well, I believe there is no white or black. We hear that a lot. Or I believe there is no Hispanic or Asian or Indian or whatever. Yet many of our churches are segregated according to race. The truth of our belief should be demonstrated by meeting together across racial and cultural barriers. Whenever a local church has racism in its church of any form, it erases the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in which they are called to proclaim. Jesus himself said this, By this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is making it clear that the gospel is furthered by godly relationships among Christians. And the book of Philemon teaches us that godly relationships bring glory to God and demonstrate the reality of the gospel in our lives. If we were to walk into any bookstore... You'd find a ton of Christian books, some of them bestsellers, telling you all about how you can use God and how you can use the Bible in order to reach your full potential in life, in order to improve your self-esteem, in order to have your best life now. And on and on, they would all convey the same worldly message over and over and over again. And that is this, that this life is all about you and what you can get out of this life. The problem with that is, is the Bible is not about you. 
It's not about me. It's about God. It's all about God and all about God's glory. The main reason that you love your spouse and you work through any marital problems that you may have, the main reason you care for your family and that you love your children is not so that you will have a happy family, although that will undoubtedly result in that. The main reason we do anything that pleases God in this life is so that God will be glorified and others will be drawn to the Savior. The world should look into our homes and look into our family life and marvel at how we display love for one another because that is when you show them the difference that Jesus has made in your life. He gets the glory and you enjoy the harmony of a happy home. However, it's about his glory and the testimony of the gospel before it's about anything else. This is precisely why Paul gives instructions to husbands in Ephesians chapter 5. And he said, this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church. Our marriage is to be a reflection of the loving relationship between Christ and his church. The same is true when it comes to unity in the local church. When believers refuse to get along with one another and they split the church over things that really do not matter, like having personality conflicts, then that does not draw anyone to the gospel. The world looks at the church and thinks, well, they're no different than us. They act like us. They behave like us. They treat one another just like we treat each other. However, when the church demonstrates the love of Christ, especially when it's across cultural and social and racial barriers, the world steps up and they take notice. This is why this letter addressed is not only to Philemon, but to Aphia, which we said last week is probably his wife, Archippus, who is possibly the pastor of the church, and the whole church that's gathered in their home. The reason Paul includes all of them is because the matter of forgiving Onesimus and accepting him as a brother in Christ was a matter of corporate testimony for the church. It was a matter for God to be glorified and for the gospel to be advanced in that city. Godly relationships in our homes and in the church demonstrate the reality of the gospel in our lives. So knowing all of this and how this book deals with godly relationships, I would like us to see some principles for godly relationships from this passage of Scripture this morning, and how, and how Paul relates to Philemon. Now, I'm not going to give you some sort of comprehensive list, but I think they are some things that we would do well to learn and put into practice in the life of our church for the glory of God and for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to see some godly principles. Let's read Philemon. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. This morning, we will read the whole book, which is 25 verses. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. 
because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow worker. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Number one, principle for godly relationship. We must know Christ by grace through faith. We must know Christ by grace through faith. If you are going to have Godly relationships. You must first know Christ as your Savior. You must have a heart transformation that comes only through faith in Christ. Look at verse 5. Paul makes a reference about Philemon's love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Paul puts an emphasis on Philemon's love. And then he moves to the source of that love, which is his faith in the Lord Jesus. The source of our love for one another should be our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul completes his thought by going to the object of Philemon's love, which is all the saints. The key for any loving relationship, whether it's it's church members or spouses or whatever it might be, the key for any loving relationship is that God has transformed our heart by the grace and love of Jesus Christ and sending His Son to die for our sins. Jesus told the disciples before He went to the cross that they were to love one another. And how is it that they were to love one another according to Jesus. Jesus said, just as I 
have loved you. The key to loving others, even those that may be hard to love, is to live your life in light of the truth that the Son of God first loved you and gave himself for you when you were hard to love. That's the key. That's the key to loving others. How can I possibly love this person that's hard to love? Well, because Jesus gave himself for me and first loved me when I was hard to love. When I was difficult to love. When I was yet a sinner, he died for me. Number two. Principle number two. Affirm that each person has value and something to contribute. Affirm that each person has value and something to contribute. As we read this brief letter, we find that throughout it, Paul affirms both Philemon and Onesimus. Let me be clear, there's a way to use affirmation as a form of manipulation. However, that is the wrong motive. And often, when we do this, the other person picks up on it when you're kind of just affirming someone in order to manipulate them to do what you want. A lot of times, they pick up on what you're doing. Paul had a way of genuinely affirming people and acknowledging their value and contribution that each one was making for the cause of Christ. In verse 1, Paul addresses Philemon as a beloved brother and a fellow worker. He thanks God for Philemon because of his faith and his love in verses 4 and 5. He expresses his joy and comfort that comes from Philemon's love, and he mentions how the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through him in verse 7. He goes on to ask Philemon to show the same love towards this new brother Onesimus. Paul's not just using flattery. He's not just like, oh, I'm going to flatter up Philemon in order to manipulate him. But instead, he's genuinely appreciative of Philemon's life and ministry in Christ. You know, when I was sitting preparing this sermon, I had to stop and I had to ask myself, how affirming am I? That's a hard question to ask. Especially if you are a type A, suck it up, rub dirt in it, and move on kind of person. Because that's me. Like, oh, you're hurt? Too bad. We got stuff to do. That's, that's, how I've, that's how I've been my entire life. When I coached girls basketball, a girl got hurt out on the basketball court, and I stood there. I'm like, what are you doing? I didn't know I was supposed to run out there and be concerned. I'm just like, get up. Let's go. The game's happening. You know, and then, like, everybody ran out. Oh, I guess I'm supposed to run out there. Because that's just, I've always been, that's the way my mind works. And so I, I said, I wonder how affirming am I? This is a struggle for me, and the Lord used this sermon to reveal to me that I need to be more affirming, especially in my home. So let me ask you, how long has it been since you told your mate or your children how much you appreciate them in a specific way? I don't mean just like, oh, I appreciate you. But specifically, in a specific way, I appreciate this. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate how you do this. Or even someone at church. 
who's encouraged you or, or, or something like that, let them know about it, whether verbally or through a written note. There's nothing wrong with allowing people to know that you appreciate them for what they've done. You know there's nothing wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with saying, thank you, I really appreciate you doing this for me. Thank you. for. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to do that even in the church. And so I would say affirm that each person has value and something to contribute. Number three, pray for one another and tell them about it. Pray for one another and tell them about it. Paul tells Philemon that he thanks God for him and prays for him. And that's very typical of Paul, to let people know that he prays for them. This is something that, that should be genuine. We should be genuine about it. In other words, don't, don't be that person that says, hey, I'll pray for you so that you sound all spiritual, and then you don't pray for them. You ever done that? Like it sounds spiritual? Oh, I'll be praying for you, brother. I'll be praying for you, sister. I, I know you're really going through a hard time right now. I'll, be, I'll tell you what, I'll be praying for you. And then you don't even pray. And you know when you say, I'm going to be praying for you, that you're probably not even going to pray for them. One thing I try to do as often as I can, if I tell someone that I'm going to pray for them, then I do it right then. That way I don't forget about it, right? So don't say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. Why don't you just change it? Hey, let me pray for you right now. That's how easy it is. And most people aren't going to object to it. No, no, don't be doing that. We don't want to be summoning the Lord or anything. One thing I try to do is, is just tell them, hey, let's, let's pray. And when we pray for one another, God uses that to form a bond. This applies to even when you're angry with someone. When a relationship is strained, strained it's tough to sincerely pray for someone and stay mad at them. You know that? It's hard to, to really sincerely pray for someone and stay mad at them at the same time. I mean, unless you're trying to pray God's judgment down on them or something. Genuinely, take time to pray for God's blessing in the life of other people. It's hard to be angry at someone when they tell you that they have been praying for you as well. Sometimes it makes you more angry. But it's, it's just hard when, when you're angry at someone and they're like, Hey, I've been praying for you, praying that God would bless you in this area. Paul's actual prayer in verse 6 is difficult to translate, which is why many English versions have difficult or different variations of it. However, I believe that Paul is praying that Philemon's generosity, that it would, it, that it would come from his faith and that it will grow in its effectiveness as he learns all of the good things that God has given to him for Christ's sake. In other words, as Philemon comes to realize what God has generously given to him, it will cause him to overflow with generosity and grace towards other people. And we should pray that for others. Pray that, that they would know God's grace. Pray that, that as they come to realize God's generosity and how God has generously lavished His grace upon them, that then their grace will overflow towards other people. And tell them that you're praying for them and then do that. Actually pray for them. Number four. Whenever it is possible, 
Make appeals, not commands. Make appeals, not commands. We need to note that Paul had apostolic authority. He could have commanded Philemon to do whatever he wanted Philemon to do. He could have said, Philemon, you accept Onesimus. But instead, he makes an appeal to him in verses 8 through 10. He says, so that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. He wanted Philemon's forgiveness and acceptance of Onesimus to come from his own heart, not grudgingly. Paul's making an appeal not just to, to the mind, but to the heart. He could have said, hey, Philemon, you do this, and here's why you're going to do it. End of discussion. Instead, he says, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Paul really is not that old, but he's suffered a lot. Paul's body is wearing out, and in this short letter alone, he refers to his imprisonment six times. Paul refers to Onesimus as his child, and he tells Philemon that in sending him, it's like sending his own heart. How could Philemon resist this appeal? How Paul deals with Philemon applies to us today. When we are in any relationship where we are in authority. For example, there are times as a parent that you might just say to your children, obey because I said so. Right? We do that. Don't do that. Why? Because I said so. Do this. Why? Because I said so. Like we, we, that's, I think, the parents' favorite words. Because I said so. But that shouldn't be our primary means of relating to our children. Right? We're in authority over them, but that shouldn't be our primary means. Sometimes we seem to snap at our children and order them around like they're our family dog. And then parents wonder why their children are overwhelmed with joy with them as parents. And we say things like, after all I've done for you. You ever heard that one? After everything I've done for you, this is the way you go and treat me. But we don't consider all we've done to them. It's better to appeal on the basis of love and to save our commands for situations that actually have serious consequences. So make your appeal whenever possible. In If you're in a position of authority especially, make an appeal rather than a command. Just like Paul did. Number five. Don't make presumptions for your own advantage. Don't make presumptions for your own advantage. Paul plainly said, he wanted Onesimus to stay with him because he was in a difficult situation. Onesimus was providing a valuable service to him. He could have rationalized and said something like this. Well, I'm sure Philemon, if he were in my situation, he would surely let Onesimus stay. I might as well just keep him here. But you know what that'd be? That'd be presuming. That'd be presuming on Philemon's generosity. It's easy to fall into this trap of presumptions. You know, only calling someone or talking to them when you need something from them in return. Presumption. Or maybe you treat someone differently because you want something from them. Presumption. 
We must be careful that we do not try to use people to accomplish some sort of hidden agenda or our own objective. So don't do things just because you have some kind of hidden agenda or you want something in return. Don't use people for your advantage, but encourage people to use their gifts to advance God's kingdom and for his glory. Number six, how to use or know to use tact. Know how to use tact. Know how to use tact. Some people will say this, I mean what I say and I say what I mean. That's fine, but you don't have to be a jerk about it. It's okay at times to be blunt. But insensitivity is not a virtue. We must be clear in communicating our desires. But we can do so with sensitivity and tactfulness. Paul builds a case for Philemon to accept Onesimus. He begins by stating his appreciation for Philemon's love and faith. He moves from the general to the particular when he says, you have shown love to all the saints, and basically says, now here is a new saint that you can love. Then Paul paints this portrait of himself as one who's this aged prisoner, and he makes his appeal, but we do not have the name of Onesimus even mentioned until verse 10. In the Greek, Onesimus is the last word in the sentence. He then goes on to give a description of the change in Onesimus in verse 11, and he talks about his own sense of loss and sending him back to Philemon in verses 12 through 14. And then finally, Paul suggests the overruling hand of the providence of God and the whole turn of events. I don't know if you picked up on that. He begins in verse 15. When he says, for this, perhaps. Perhaps. And what Paul is doing is making an argument. It is like saying this. Consider this, Philemon. He doesn't say this is the reason Onesimus ran away. If we read on, he says, parted from you. For this, perhaps, is why he's parted from you. Consider this. He's using a passive verb. He's not saying there's no blame on Onesimus. But he's also not magnifying his crime to stir up some sort of resentment in Philemon. And finally, we come to verse 17. Paul makes this request that that is, that Philemon will accept Onesimus even as he would accept Paul. And what a great lesson for us to learn to use tact. We can all learn a lesson from this to, to think out what we are saying and know what we're saying. We don't, we don't just have to bluntly, bleh, but use some tact. Know how to use it. Number seven, have a willingness, have a willingness to bear the cost of a relationship. Have a willingness to bear the cost of a relationship. And let me just say, I believe this is where most Christians struggle. 
It's where people struggle in general, but especially Christians. They don't want to bear the cost of entering a relationship with someone else. If we're going to maintain a good relationship, a godly relationship with anyone, there's cost involved. For some reason, we think that, that good relationships just happen spontaneously without any effort. And it's just not true. In all good relationships, there is a price tag. And if you are in a relationship where there's not a price tag, perhaps it's not a good relationship. This relationship cost Paul something, right? First, he's willing to part with Onesimus despite his own needs. Second, Paul was willing to pay for any cost that Onesimus had incurred towards Philemon. And I believe Paul's very sincere in this and what he said and wanted Philemon to consider Onesimus' debt as his own debt, as Onesimus' father in the faith. He was willing to provide for his child. Philemon incurred some costs. He lost a slave, his labor for a while, along with whatever cash and property Onesimus had stolen. In order for him to forgive Onesimus, he had to bear these costs. When he forgave Onesimus, it would also cost him his reputation. Certainly, he would be criticized by other slave owners for setting some sort of dangerous and terrible precedent. There was a cost for Onesimus when returning to Philemon. He would have part of his, uh, he would, he would uh, not be with his mentor Paul anymore. He would have to be willing to give up his freedom and maybe even work to make restitution. Listen, godly relationships come with a price tag. The problem is we are too often not willing to pay up. Well, I don't want to pay. It's going to cost me something. It's going to cost me time. It's going to, that may cost me money. That may cost me something. I don't want to pay that. And we're so greedy with what we have that we're not willing to give it up. And the one price tag that is most often placed in godly relationships is the price tag of forgiveness. And we're not willing to pay up. Forgiveness means that you willingly bear the hurt and the one that wrongs you goes free. Let me repeat it. It means that you willingly bear the hurt. And the one that wronged you goes free. Are you willing to pay the price for godly relationships? I can't tell you how often married couples struggle with this issue right now. Here And the relationship is one in which one hurts the other person and then the other person retaliates and hurts them back and then they retaliate and they hurt and then they hurt, 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 hurt and they just pile hurt on one another. And they're never able to move past the past hurts. 
Listen, church, you can drudge up all of the past hurts and all of the pains and all of the troubles and all of the sorrows, and you can sit and waller in self-pity and say, woe is me, I am so, look at all this stuff that's happened to poor little old me. Or you can forgive. And it's like that in all godly relationships. You can sit there and be bitter about what what so-and-so said about you or how someone treated you or how you heard so-and-so say this or you can forgive them and let them go free. But it's so much easier to hold on to that past garbage, isn't it? Because we want to be bitter. We want to be like, oh, I just, I can't stand so-and-so. They, they hurt me this one time, and I heard them say so, this about me, and they think they know everything, and blah, 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 blah. Right? The point of forgiveness is that you forgive so they don't have to pay the price. That's the point. You forgive so they don't have to pay for the past hurts. And, you, and, and we say, well, how, how can I possibly do that? How can I possibly forgive so they don't, they don't have, they need to pay for what they did to me. Really? Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for you? Isn't it precisely what Jesus did for you? Tell me, where on the cross did Jesus look down and say to you, you need to pay the price? You need to pay for your sin? Isn't that the point? That he paid the price? So you don't have to? Husbands, some of you need to forgive your wife. Wives, some of you need to forgive your husbands. Church, some of you need to forgive one another in the church. Or maybe even you need to forgive past pastors. Maybe you need to even forgive your current pastor. I don't know. Because that is what Jesus did for us. And we will never, ever, 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 no matter how many times that we can possibly forgive someone, we will never forgive anyone more than Jesus has forgiven you. Ever. That's why when they come and say, Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? No. Seven times 70, I tell you. You keep forgiving over and over and over and over again because you will never exhaust the forgiveness of an almighty God who has forgiven you of everything that you have ever done. Listen, it is time to set people free from their past and quit dwelling on it when you bear the cost of a godly relationship whether monetary or in the form of forgiveness you will always get more in return than you can possibly give Philemon receives back a useful slave not just a slave but a brother in Christ 
Onesimus is now able to serve with joy in the Lord, and the church now receives a valuable member of their church. Oh, church, are you willing to bear the cost of a relationship? Are you willing to bear the cost? Will you pay the price? problem is so many of us just aren't willing to pay the price number eight expect the best instead of assuming the worst you ever assume the worst about people i've done that what they did this because of this right we assume the worst notice that paul expected the best he expected philemon's obedience And even more, according to verse 21, that's exactly what he says. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But look at what he does at the same time. Paul knew that people will often do what you inspect, not what you just expect. Look at what he says in verse 22. I love it. Basically says, I'm coming for a visit. I don't believe that Paul didn't trust Philemon, but it gives him accountability, doesn't it? Hey, Philemon, I know I'm confident of your obedience. You're going to do more. I know you're going to do more than I say, but by the way, get a room ready because I'm coming to visit. The same principle applies to us, right? And our children, we should expect them to do their best to please us. We should not show surprise when they do well. In fact, we should expect them to do well. We should be surprised when they disobey. We should not just expect our teens to rebel. We should expect them to follow the Lord and perhaps follow through with some accountability. We should have some expectation of other Christians as well and follow through and make sure they do it. We should expect certain things out of one another. Expect the best. Don't assume the worst. Don't sit back and and think, well, I know that they did this because of this, and and try to play it all out in your mind. Just expect the best. Number nine, make others feel included. Feeling left out is a terrible feeling. You ever had that feeling? You know, like, like you're standing somewhere, maybe somebody's over there planning their little thing, and you're not included, and you just feel left out, like, hey, I'm... I'm right here. This is me. I want to come. I, that doesn't work well with me because, like, if you plan something and I want to go, I'll just invite myself. <laughs> I will, I'll just be like, oh, I want to come. Let's, hey, can I come? That's, that's just the way I am. But anyway, um, it, it feels terrible being left out. Look at verse 23. Paul makes mention of all these other believers that greet Philemon. Right? And yes, Paul is being friendly, but he's also letting Philemon know that he is on a team. There's more than just Philemon on this team. The point is, if Philemon drops the ball with Onesimus, it's going to affect more than just Philemon. It's going to impact the entire team. We got to keep that in mind as a church that we are all on the same team. We don't leave people out intentionally. It would also go a long way in restoring our relationships if we kept it in mind. We can't serve Christ by ourselves. 
We can't afford to say to other people, I don't need you on the team. It's not your team. It's not my team. If the Lord has picked someone to be on His team, then they're on His team. And we should include them in the work and work out any relational problems that we have. We should, oh, well, you're on the team, too, and you're on the team, and you're on the team. We shouldn't be leaving people out. Number 10, lastly, always remember God's grace towards you. Always remember God's grace towards you. I said to my wife last night, this message might, might be short. And she said, yeah, right. Uh, always remember God's grace towards you. Sometimes it seems like we have a tendency to forget constant things, right? But Paul begins verse 3, and he ends verse 25 by mentioning the grace of God. And it's not just a formality. God's grace was at the center of Paul's life. And it should be at the center of ours as well. His grace summed up everything about how Paul related to God and how Paul related to other people. Now here is what we must understand. Because God has shown us so much grace. Then we need to show grace to other people. If we want to be shown more grace, then we got to give more grace to others. Philemon could have thought Onesimus doesn't deserve forgiveness. And he would have been precisely right. Because grace is undeserved. We're the same way. We don't deserve it. Oh, but God, help us to always remember your grace towards us. That we would then give grace to others. Oh, that we would always remember the grace that God has given to us and that we would overflow with grace to other people. Perhaps you've heard the saying, to dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. That's precisely why we need to learn to relate to one another in a godly way, in a way that brings God glory, shows the reality of the gospel in our lives. So here's my question to you this morning How are your relationships? with one another. Do you actually have godly relationships with others in this church? Do you? Based upon grace, willing to forgive, are you paying the price? Or is it just as easy just to keep to yourself not let anybody in. Build up the wall. So nobody knows what's really going on in your life. Perhaps today you need to work on some relationship restoration. That's a good sermon title. Relationship restoration. Anyway. Or at least work on applying some godly principles to your life. To your relationships.
Or maybe you can't have godly relationships because you don't have faith in Christ. That's where it starts. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, that's where your godly relationship has to start. Do you have faith in Christ? Do you have relationships? Are they godly? Do you need to restore relationships? I don't know how the Lord may use this little book of Philemon to speak to you about relationships in your life. It could be your relationship with your spouse. It could be your relationship with someone here in the church. Maybe there's something that you need to work on. Maybe you need to get a godly relationship. I don't know how the Lord speaks to you. I just speak his word and trust that he will use it to penetrate your heart and life. If that's you this morning and, and you need some prayer, I'll be standing down front. I'd love to pray with you. If you need to pray in your pew, you can pray on your own. You need to you need to come forward and, and talk about baptism or something like that. Then, then, then we can talk about whatever the Lord has laid on your heart, however you've heard him speak. Don't be afraid to come and talk to me. Let's close with prayer.